Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Maine Public's chief political correspondent, Steve Missler. This week is a special edition of The Pulse as we take a fresh look at the results of the 2022 midterm elections. What you're about to hear is a lightly edited version of the live discussion with Maine Calling host Jennifer Rooks, political correspondent Kevin Miller, and myself. Steve, it appears Governor Mills won by at least 10 percentage points, which is what most polls were predicting. A couple of Maine cities were key to her victory, right? So there are traditionally like a couple of keys to winning a statewide election in Maine. And for Democrats, it's basically running up big margins in Portland and communities along the I-295, I-95 corridor, while basically trying to limit landslide losses in the more conservative 2nd Congressional District. And and also, you almost have to win the city of Lewiston. Well, Governor Mills did all of that and then some. I mean, she beat LePage in his childhood hometown of Lewiston. She beat him in Waterville, where he served as mayor. And she crushed him in Portland and the surrounding communities where all the population density is. I mean, that's the story of the race, I think, in a nutshell. Former Governor LePage tried to make inroads in those areas. He was campaigning there in the final days of the um, of the campaign. Um, and he was essentially trying to replicate the victory that Republican Senator Susan Collins had done in 2020, where she definitely made inroads in those areas, uh, specifically the Portland suburbs. But he just couldn't do it, even by softening his image somewhat. So as it stands, Mills leads LePage. 56 to 42 with 80% of uh, precincts reporting. And if that margin holds or grows, it will not only surpass Mills's margin of victory over Republican Sean Moody in 2018, but it will also be one of the most decisive victories in a gubernatorial race since Angus King's absolute rout in 1998. I don't think anyone's surprised that Shelley Pingree won re-election in the first district. But in the second district, with 80% of the vote counted, Congressman Jared Golden has 49% of the vote. If that holds, the race will go to ranked choice runoff early next week. Kevin, what do we know about the communities whose votes have not yet been counted? Are they likely to go for Golden or Poliquin? And what are the chances this will not be determined by the ranked choice system? The presumption all along is, has certainly been that this race is very likely to end up in a ranked choice runoff, and that really appears to still be the case this morning. But Representative Golden has been creeping ever closer to that kind of magic threshold of essentially 50% plus one vote. Uh, most of the towns that have yet to report are, are smaller rural towns, but there are a few larger municipalities that I'm still not seeing the results in the various on the various election tally sites. Uh, one is Winthrop, which I believe has uh, more than 3000 voters. Uh, another bigger town that I didn't see at least a little while ago was Bucksport, which had uh, more than 2000 voters. But I was able to actually find the results on Bucksport's uh, website and Golden beat Poliquin by about 150 votes. You know, that that's a pretty healthy margin but it doesn't move the overall needle for Golden that much closer to 50% in a race where you have more than 250,000 votes that were cast. So, you know, is it possible? Sure. But is it likely? It's still looking like it's going to head towards a ranked choice election. And then 
in that situation, we're back. We can look back to 2018, where we had the same situation. We had the same three candidates that time. Uh, Golden actually came out of election day trailing Poliquin. This time around, he's beating Poliquin by more than 12,000 votes. And in 2018, uh, Tiffany Bond's supporters pushed Golden over the top. And that seems to be the likely scenario here as well. Steve, during the campaigns, we discussed just how much money was pouring into state legislative races, especially two banner races. Let's talk about those. And we'll start with Maine's first Senate district where Republican Sue Bernard was challenging Senate President Troy Jackson. Talk about what we know at this point and did all that money have an impact? Well, Jen, at the moment, Senator Jackson is leading Representative Bernard by four percentage points with more than 80% of precincts reporting. He's declared victory and, and I haven't seen any Republicans contest that call. Um, to your question about money and its effect on the race, I mean, I suspect it had some effect, which yeah, I guess is good news for the people who financed the effort. More than $1 million was spent on that race, which is just astounding for a Senate district in Aroostook County with some 30,000 residents. It's also about a quarter of the money spent by groups working independently of the candidate campaigns this year, which totaled about $4.7 million uh, last check. Um, and most of that money was spent by Democratic aligned groups, which seem to have learned their lesson from 2010 that legislative races are as important to finance as congressional ones. I'm sure the money and corresponding ads and, and messaging you know, sort of annoy voters, but this has been a trend for the past decade. And lately, Democrats in Maine seem to have the advantage in being able to finance these kind of campaigns. But I also really don't want to I don't want to sell Senator Jackson short here. You know, I mean, he might be one of the only Democrats in this state who can hold that seat. And that's because he's very connected to his constituents there. Money can't buy that. So, you know, yeah, the money may have had an effect on that race, but you can't shortchange uh, Senator Jackson either because I think he worked really hard there. And again, he's very connected to that uh, to that district as well. Kevin, the other high stakes state Senate race was in the Winthrop area where Senator Craig Hickman faced Republican Jeffrey Hanley. Boy, that race is razor thin. Yeah, indeed it is. I mean, we've been using the Associated Press for election results, as do most news organizations. And as of right now, AP was showing just about 100 vote margin between uh, Craig, Hickman, Craig Hickman, who's a Democrat, and Republican Jeff Hanley. And that's with about 80% of the votes counted. Uh, both of these gentlemen have represented their areas in the legislature for multiple terms. So they're they're pretty well known to people out there. But Interestingly, the Maine Senate Democratic Campaign Committee uh, sent out a press release a little while ago saying that Hickman had been reelected and even calling it a, quote, decisive margin. Uh, presumably, they're seeing some local results that AP hasn't factored in yet. Um, but to Steve's point, uh, this is another one of those races where we just saw enormous amounts of spending, not nearly as much as the, the Senate President Troy Jackson's race, but more than $400,000 of that. Uh, was spent here in the Senate District 14 race around Winthrop. And the vast majority of that came from Democrats who are trying to help Craig Hickman defend his seat. Steve, do we know yet what the balance of power will be in the legislature? And, and were there any surprises? Well, we know, Jen, that Democrats likely won at least 77 seats in the main house, which is enough to retain their majority in the the 151 seat chamber and it looks like they'll probably hold the senate too they they currently have a 22 to 13 majority in the senate but 
so far, it doesn't look like the GOP netted any additional seats last night. And Jen, I think the surprise here was that the GOP couldn't pick up a majority in either chamber. I mean, a lot of people uh, expected they they would they would at least earn a split control, um, but that's looking increasingly unlikely to happen. And I think one of the reasons is that Republicans were essentially trying to nationalize a lot of these legislative races, which is a tricky thing to do. But they were specifically trying to chain Democratic legislative candidates to inflation and high gas prices. But the polls we saw all the way up until Election Day um, and throughout the campaign was that voters weren't making that connection. And honestly, you know, the GOP attempts at blaming Democrats for, you know, say, high gas prices were pretty flimsy. Their their big attack was blaming Democrats for a carbon tax bill that may have increased gas prices. But that bill went nowhere. It died three years ago and never really had a chance. But, you know, whenever Republicans were trying to make this connection between high fuel prices or gas prices and Democrats, that's all they had because Democrats haven't done anything that would affect those prices. And so that was really, I think, a problem for the Republicans and and obviously didn't work out for them. I think the places where they do best is where they have quality candidates. And I'm not saying that where they lost, they didn't have quality candidates. I think there's a combination of factors and and uh, Democrats obviously are riding pretty high as a result of those mistakes. Kevin, for the first time, Maine's legislature will seat two Somali-American immigrants. Tell us about them. Yeah, that's right, Jen. Uh, voters in South Portland elected uh, Decca DeLock to represent them in the Maine House. She currently serves as mayor of South Portland. I believe she came to the U.S. a few decades ago, and she works at a, I think it's a nonprofit program that that helps other uh, immigrants and new residents of the state. And then in Lewiston, voters elected Mana Abdi to represent them in the main house. Uh, she's 26 years old, I believe, and she came to Maine as a refugee with her family when she was a young child. Uh, she's a Lewiston High School graduate and uh, also uh, attended the University of Maine Farmington. I think she now works at Bates College. But you know, these are significant victories for Maine's growing immigrant population. Uh, Lewiston, of course, has had a pretty robust Somali-American community for several decades now, and, and they've had members of that community serving on local boards for years. But this will give their community a bigger voice at the state level. And of course, you know, there's there's the gender factor here. We have two, you know, not only the first uh, Somali-American legislators, but for, they're both women to represent them, their communities in the state house. Steve, Portland voters faced a long ballot. What did we learn yeah. from the results of all those questions they faced? Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to tick through all those, Jen. But what I will say is, overall, is as bad as last night was for Maine Republicans, it was also pretty rough for progressive activists in the city of Portland and the local chapter of the Democratic uh, Socialists of America. Those activists saw these three big ticket ballot initiatives that they had gotten behind go down and defeat and, and pretty convincingly too. Um, the effort to create a strong mayor for the city, which has been debated for years, um, is currently getting crushed by like 30 percentage points. Um, so is their bid to have an $18 minimum wage in the city. Um, and the same goes for regulations on short-term rentals. Those are all going down. Um, I also think it's helpful to think of these results in the context of what's been going on politically in Portland over the last few years. You have this group of pro progressive activists essentially trying to reshape city government in the state's most liberal city. But what you saw during the campaign is that local Democrats, even 
I guess you might call them, I don't know, mainstream Democrats, rebelled against these initiatives. So even in the liberal bastion of Portland, there was a rejection of this years-long effort to make the city more liberal. And look, I mean, I think it's absolutely fair to point out that the progressive groups were outspent on a lot of these ballot initiatives. But just like any other contest we across the state, I don't think money tells the whole story of, of, the, of the results we're seeing right now. Kevin, are there other ballot initiatives around the state you are paying close attention to? Yeah, well, several towns had big school funding initiatives that received a lot of local attention because of their potential impact on property taxes. Uh, voters in Cape Elizabeth uh, pretty resoundingly rejected a, a proposed $116 million bond for uh, for what I believe would have been a new elementary school and middle school and renovations to the high school. Um, a little further up I-295, uh, voters in Cumberland and North Yarmouth, they rejected a $74 million uh, school bond proposal. And again, a lot of the concern here focused on what those uh, those much needed improvements to what are overcrowded aging schools could do to local property taxes. Um, elsewhere around Maine, Bar Harbor residents uh, voted to only allow up to 1,000 cruise ship passengers to disembark and to make their town and to make their way into town every day. You know, this this comes after years of frustration from local residents and even some businesses about these mega cruise ships who dump huge numbers of passengers onto downtown Bar Harbor's already crowded streets in the summertime. Uh, there is some speculation that the cruise ship industry actually will challenge the referendum in court. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. And the last one I'd add was another interesting one was in Booth Bay Harbor and Booth Bay and Southport voters. Uh, they voted to to keep adding fluoride to the local public uh, drinking water system. And this is kind of part of a, a national debate that we've seen over the past couple of years. One thing that strikes me listening to what you all are saying about statewide races, as well as what's happening in Portland, what happened in these school districts, Steve, is that it seems as though moderates took the day. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, Jen, you know, and, um, and and not really a surprise, right? Because if you think about the state, I mean, Maine generally, you know, you I guess you could argue right now that it's definitely leaning left. And certainly Democrats have a, an edge in registered voters here, but they're not so far left that that they're going to basically alienate the other side of the aisle on a lot of issues. I mean, I think they were framed as doing that by the Republicans, especially in state state races, legislative races. And, but that that's just not the case. And I think voters get that. And so, and I think it's, that's especially true with Governor Janet Mills. I mean, one thing I didn't mention, I mean, you were asking about how she performed last night. One of the things that she did was she was able to win some towns that are in conservative strongholds, not by a lot, you know, I'm thinking of like Hamden, for example, where she sort of eked out a victory there against LePage. Hamden is a pretty conservative place. And I don't think you win in a place like that if you're super left, right? I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why she's done well in rural parts of the state. You know, I'm not saying that she's running away with it in those places, but she's, you know, she can hold her own. And I think that really matters in this state because after all, you know, Portland and the surrounding communities are just uh, just a portion of it. And I think if Demo Democrats can continue to do that, they're in pretty good position here. And it's a real contrast to nationwide where Democrats are getting a lot of heat for being out of touch with rural parts of the country. Um, and in Maine, they seem to be beating back that reputation. And that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. 
a reminder that The Pulse typically posts on Friday afternoon with an excerpt broadcasting Friday evening during All Things Considered. That won't be the case this week because of the Veterans Day holiday, but we'll be back soon, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out our weekly newsletter. Sign up at mainpublic.org slash pulse. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>